everyone. Welcome to Dar's Conversations, the series where we talk to people from around the worlds of digital marketing, customer service, and conversational tech about the sorts of awesome stuff that they are up to. This week, we have a really special episode for you guys. I feel like I say that every time. But we spoke with Shane Mack. SVP for Marketing and Partnerships at Converse Social, a company that helps enterprises create more engaging experiences through conversational tech. Uh, before starting out at Converse Social, Shane actually ran his own conversational tech company called Assist, which Converse Social acquired early last year. Assist has for a long time been a pioneer in the conversational tech space. I remember when I joined Dars back in 2016, Assist was really the trailblazer in the space. Everyone wanted to emulate the sorts of experiences that Assist was creating for massive enterprises like Hyatt, Sephora, 1-800-Flowers. So for me, it was actually very interesting talking to someone whose blog posts I had read over the years to learn more about this space. Now, as I found out from speaking with Shane, he is a fount of knowledge about all things conversational. I think he has a pretty good sense of where the technology came from, where it is right now, and most importantly, where it is going to go in the future. And we tried to cover pretty much all of that in this interview. But before we get into any of that, I think a good starting point is to talk about Shane's story, because as I found out from looking at his LinkedIn, he is a man of many hats. He is an investor, an author, a startup advisor, and perhaps most interestingly, a musician, which is the oldest experience on his LinkedIn profile. So I'm going to drop you guys at the point of our conversation where Shane was describing to me how he went from being a musician to being a leader in the conversational tech space. Enjoy. How did you go from being a musician to being a leader in the conversational tech space? All by accident, pretty much. And uh, I mean, it goes back to early days. I was building websites and stuff for my music show. And let's get real. I'm not prolific at all. I would say I'm a mediocre wedding singer. That's about my music skills. Uh, (laughs) But I, I loved playing music and I would play a lot of the bars in college and stuff. And you know, a lot of it was driven out of spite for not getting a job because my dad would always be like, music's not a career. And I was like, I can play a wedding and make more money than you can find me a job uh, in our hometown. And so I started playing weddings and I started playing music and I needed a website. So I started learning how to code. And then I just honestly, around 2006 or so, five or six, I found like Facebook and LinkedIn and then Twitter happened. And I just was inspired by these platforms to be able to talk to anybody in the world. And I grew up in a little town in Illinois. I went to college at Western Illinois, which is about the opposite of Stanford. Uh, It's like a little state school that is in the middle of nowhere in a cornfield. There's more people in the college campus than there are in the town. And, you know, I was like playing around on Twitter and meeting all these people doing inspiring things from all over the world. And that curiosity just led me to really meet a bunch of people. And I moved to Seattle because my brother convinced me to leave my small town. And about that time, I stumbled across someone on Twitter. Her name is Jen Pitts. I'll never forget her. And she was working for a guy named T.A. McCann. And T.A. McCann is uh, kind of the unlock of my life, to be honest. 
And he was working on a company. It was called Mindbox at the time, uh, which was a thing that you could mine your inbox to find news about people. And so if you, know, you emailed me three years ago and you had news come out today, it would send me a note and say, hey, you know, here's some news. You might want to follow up. It looks like you know, he's in the news. He's got a new podcast episode. And so that was like a cool idea, but I was more interested in the social internet. And so at the time, I was building this little widget to allow you to see a face inside of email. And so I would take your email address. I would then ping. It was like Rapleaf at the time. And I would get a photo back from Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. Sometimes it was right. Sometimes it wasn't. And putting identity on top of email at the time, like our work and personal lives were very separate. People were like, my LinkedIn is not my Facebook. Like every, it was a very different era. And I was like, you know, I think the future is everything's personal. Work is life. It's all going to blend together. And I think that kind of came true for better or worse. And at the time I was doing that and TA was like, oh, the social internet's interesting. If you added social data on top of email, that would make me smarter as well. Kind of like news search. Because coming from college, I didn't even know what news search was. I was like, no one has news about them in college, but I would see everyone's stuff on social media. And so, you know, he convinced me, he's like, join this startup. Let's go do this. And I didn't know what a startup was. I didn't know. I was like, are you going to pay me? Like, I need, I I don't have any money. Uh, And it was kind of like that vibe. And it turns out, you know, TA is a pretty prolific guy in Seattle. He was working for Paul Allen, the founder of Microsoft. That's the inbox he was mining. And then Paul was our first million dollar investment in the company. Uh, and then, you know, two years later, the company grew to 100 million people in under two years. We were only 15 people on the team or so, pretty small. And then BlackBerry acquired us for 50 million bucks in 2010. Uh, and basically overnight, that's your MBA. And we're kind of like, whoa. And then I wanted to move to San Francisco. And so I was in Seattle. You know, you're kind of in one of those, where's the, you know, where's the next level here? And that, you know, SF was definitely the place that is like the major leagues of tech. And so, I moved there. At, we worked on a startup called Zarly for about three years, three and a half years. And uh, it was a local marketplace. It's still around today. But you know, we, we learned a lot of the hard lessons doing a horizontal marketplace, going broad, city launches, spending tons of money. We ended up you know, raising $35 million and basically had to start over three and a half years in. Uh, the CEO, Bo, is awesome. He moved to Kansas City. I was like, I'm not going to do this. Around that time, I was always inspired by messaging. When we sold our company to BlackBerry, you know, we were working on BBM and BBM was like BlackBerry Messenger. It was the first kind of WhatsApp, really. And uh, so I'd always kind of had this like Twitter DMs, BBM, messaging, et cetera. And so I just started messing around with uh, this idea of a, a messaging app that had a people in the Philippines, actually, and they would do things for you. So it's like an assistant. It's called Assist. And all of a sudden, we started integrating APIs to help the assistant do more things. So you would in- integrate OpenTable's API and I could talk to it and say reservation 730. And at the time, it was like fixed scripts. It was very basic. Uh, but we were, mat- we were matching language to APIs and systems. And at that time, I-, I had built a relationship with a guy named Robert Stevens for the past like four years when I moved to San Francisco. And he was the founder of Geek Squad and CTO Best Buy for like 10 years. And he's really like next level AI wizardry kind of thinker. You know, when I talk to him, every time I'm just like, whoa, like it's, it's, it's on another kind of playing field. And he always expands my mind. And, you know, I was just really curious and I was really focused on this idea of messaging. And then he's the one who was like, listen, designing automation when you don't have a human will lead us to design better automation. And you should focus solely on getting all these systems to talk to language. And that's bots. And he was like, let's just focus here. And I said, well, if I'm only going to do that, 
and focus there if you're going to be my co-founder. And so then I recruited him to join me. And so he joined me and, you know, for the last six years, seven years, we built that. Uh, and he was really the bot guy. I became the bot guy because I was the CEO of a bot company. But behind the scenes, Robert was the one who really taught me and understood how to think about this space different. And I think a lot of it comes to the environment you create leads to what you innovate on. I would be like, messaging is the future of search. I'd say like ridiculous statements like that. That's totally my ego. And that's how I've always been and my bravado and sales. And I'm just saying this big shit. And he's like, if you say that, it doesn't allow us to innovate and like tinker around and find what's magic because we're like, oh, if we don't make search, then we didn't succeed. He's like, start with the really specific tactics and add constraints of what we don't have. And if you start looking at what you don't have, it allows you to really innovate. And so he was like, okay, you can say this big statement or you can make me be able to book a haircut at Great Clips with just an SMS number. And the first bot we ever built was actually that. We, we hacked the Great Clips website and we built a little JavaScript crawler and you could text 23232 and you'd say cut C-U-T and it would bring back the three closest Great Clips to you and you could text one, two, or three, and it would say 18-minute wait time, 22-minute wait time, 29-minute wait time. And you text two, and it says, you're booked. And Robert walked in. It's so funny that Robert loves great clips. He only loves great clips because they have pre-appointment scheduling. <laughs> he like, doesn't care about the haircut. He cares about the efficiency of getting a haircut. And so he walks in, shoots a picture, sends it back, and we were able to do that in a week. And so I, I, there's a lot to leadership that, that I find of having those really tight constraints and thinking smaller allows the team to really progress and move forward. And we did it quickly. I mean, now our bot platform is so fucking complicated, not like to use. It's very simple UI, it's just UI built. But behind the scenes, I mean, this thing, you have nine platforms supported. It does all this random access, all this stuff that we're going to talk about. That started with building a great clip spot, right? And I think that allowed us to really also not having a human. So we didn't have this like failover of like, oh, if it doesn't understand, it'll go to a human, which is what everyone else was doing. And that's why you have the don't, do not understand problem on bots versus you solve the air handling and how to fail over correctly and how to keep context and how to um, route it back and change directions and keep moving forward because you don't have the human. And I think the constraints are everything. And I think that people in the chat and voice game are especially guilty of the mistake that you just mentioned. Uh, because there's just so much hype around the technology that they are encouraged to make these grand promises that they inevitably can't deliver on. I was going to say, we see today, you know, that's why we we merged with Commerce Social. Like we were working with all the agent platforms, but the big opportunity in the market is really giving an assistant to every agent. That's the arrow win right now is the bots are sitting there alongside the agents when there's tens of thousands of people in call centers for these big enterprises the ability to give everyone an, an assistant that they can trigger and they can launch the bot to do all the things that are specific things that they used to do, whether the bot does it automatically or it's triggered from the agent, that's the stuff we've been working on. And that's the big opportunity in the next five years that I see. Um, you know, The overarching AI bot that does it all is pretty far away. You mentioned the language. Essentially, you're essentially using language to translate systems to people. And when I was, when I was doing research for this conversation, uh, I think in another interview, the exact quote you used was language is the ultimate translator of all APIs and systems. What exactly do you mean by that? What does it mean for language to essentially be connecting all of these systems and these APIs to people? Basically the world is 
two systems that are trying to talk to each other. That's like the whole internet, right? And in the past, it was all these structured forms. So your open table booking API had to be built to a UI that is in an app or is on Google. And those have to talk to each other in the same format to be able to book a reservation. And basically, you have infinite systems on both sides. And by the way, one of those systems is a human. So all of a sudden, you have 4,000 different ways to book an appointment on the left side that has to talk to the system that is plugged into the calendar or the payment system at the hair salon or an insurance agent, whatever. And in the middle is UI in the past. And the UI had to be the same. You had to structure the fields and the data sets to be able to talk to each other. And that's basically what you know, the open API world did. But in the future, language is able to talk to any of those systems, whether it's a human, whether it's a chat box, whether it's a form, it doesn't matter. Or even a phone call, like you saw the Google Duplex launch, and they're able to actually call the hair salon, right? Once you can use language that can go in any direction it wants, it no longer has to be designed where the two systems have to be on the same playing field. And all of a sudden, every system in the world can talk to each other if the middle is language that can talk to both sides, which is why you see Google Assistant, Alexa, Siri, Cortana, all these companies pouring billions and billions of dollars into the voice interface. Because the minute that that can start doing things for you, they basically can talk to any system in the world. And if you think about it, the last 10 years has been the mobile app era. Mobile apps forced companies to make APIs to power the mobile app. But if you really think about it, Google and Apple basically just convinced the entire world to open up all of their systems that now they can talk to. And if language can talk to APIs, then there's no app needed. Then Google Assistant can white label everything. So the future is you trust your bot. You trust Google. You trust Siri for contacts. I trust Google for information. I trust Alexa for shopping, et cetera. That's the future. What's underneath it? I don't need to know. And you know that's both a scary reality that like these companies could own everything because underneath that, you won't actually know what you're talking to because your bot's going to do it for you. Uh, and so I think language is the ultimate translator of all systems. A lot to unpack over there. Um, now, you mentioned essentially putting these systems underneath these all-encompassing bots like Google, uh, Google Assistant, Alexa, Siri. I have a couple of questions on that point. The first is, do you anticipate a more multi-bot world where people are interacting with multiple bots for different things? Or is everything going to get subsumed into one of these platforms? I look at bots like I look at websites. I think you're going to have tons of different bots. Uh, and you're going to have bots that do things better than others. And you're going to default to those. And if it's as easy as just calling up a bot, right? Hey, Siri, hey, Alexa, hey, Google, whatever. Um, or hey, small startup that does something really well, right? There's probably a new bot that could do something that's magic. Um, I, I see definitely more of that, right? Apple's going to be for my payments and my contacts and my personal information on my device. Google's going to be for all informational and recipes and how to cook and YouTube stuff and blah, 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 blah. Amazon's going to be for shopping, obviously, or audiobooks or et cetera. And I think you're really going to come to a place where it's going to be about what you trust and then does it have the right data to be good. And the last part is the key. So whoever has the different data can do different experiences. And so Apple has different data than Google. Google has different data than Amazon. And I think 
they're all going to have their place in the ecosystem. And I, I think it's a huge, huge opportunity, just like web. Uh, and you're going to have multi-different bots. The question is that I think they're all going after. Is there the router or intent layer at the Google Assistant layer that knows all the other bots? And then you trust Google because it always finds the right bot. That's the like big picture I think that they're all going after is, is definitely a search type thing. Okay, how do I rank bots? What is, the, what is a good bot? How does it fail over? Does it actually work? Does it private and secure, et cetera, et cetera. And if there is a bot ecosystem like there are websites and search is the next frontier, uh, then I could see a world where like you always go to Siri because it has integrations to everything. Um, but I don't know. I think they're going to be able to do unique experiences that each other can't do. Uh, and the friction is so low. It's just, you know, I use Siri for this. I use Assistant for that. I use Alexa for that. Um, so I think for a while, it's going to be all. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess with voice bots, especially when everything is just two spoken words away, it's it's not hard to use multiple bots because the difference between saying, hey, Alexa, or hey, Siri, uh, I'm not going to say... The question is, how do the defaults play out? Because if the future is... My, my co-founder always used to say local AI, right? That's what's happening right now is you're trying to get the intents preloaded in the AirPods with enough storage capacity so that it's real time and it's already synced on the device and it doesn't have to go to the cloud and all of a sudden Siri is instant. The minute we feel that, it's really close to happening. Everything changes because right now you ask Siri, it goes to the cloud. You don't know if it's thinking. It comes back four seconds later. It's not right. It's kind of incorrect. And you're like, fuck Siri. The future though, hey Siri, how are you? What's up? And it's going to be instant because it's already going to pre- be preloaded based on your activity. It's going to know that you ask these types of things in the morning. And so 90% of the stuff is going to be on your AirPods. If that's the case, then do you think they're going to allow Google Assistant through the AirPods? I don't know. And that's where the real war, I think, is going to happen, much like the App Store. Now, you, you touched upon something really interesting there. You mentioned, as of right now, there is definitely this issue where when you ask Siri something, there is a good chance, still today in 2020, it is going to mess up. How does anyone in the conversational tech space not alienate their customers? Because I find that with chatbots, it's very easy to scare an end user away. If they have one bad experience with a bot, there is a tendency to universalize that experience and to say that for sure, this technology in general sucks. Totally. I mean... They always say like the last, you know, the last 10% is the 90% of the work. Like we're there. We're in the last like 5% of the voice frontier. The, the infrastructure is there. The understanding is there. The data and mapping to all of the systems is not there. And, the, and they're trying to plug it in fast. I mean, the, the, both the ecosystem partners um, are working hard there. And I think from a design perspective, you know, it's been interesting watching all these psychologists and therapists and stuff be hired to write all the kind of Alexa and everything. And I think it makes sense because it's, it's really this idea of know what you're great at and be very good at it and be open and honest about what you don't know. And that comes from actually like a personal side. Like you have to like get there as a human and be able to say like, I don't know, like ah, shit, it doesn't work every time. Errors are part of it. And that whole design philosophy is actually hard to understand and get to which is why I think this space is really hard because your past is building websites and apps um, and you don't really design with empathy and stuff. You're like, click through A, B, C, D, E, F, it works, check it, QA, it works 100% of the time, ship it. This space is like everyone has a different experience. It fails quite a bit and you have to design empathy into the air so that 
when it fails, people don't hate it. But you have to be clear about what it does and make sure that what it does, it does really well. Um, and I think we're getting there. Like there's, you know, people say dumb things like, or not dumb things, people say like Google Assistant's dumb. They'll be like, it only does music and weather and news. But it doesn't really, really great. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like it's getting to a point now where like, I use Siri. It works really well for calling people, really well for reminders, really well for setting alarms, really well for, um, you know, interacting with Spotify now that they opened it up. Great. Like, I love it for those. And then very subtly, they're going to add in new APIs and new use cases. And I think it'll switch quickly. It's going to, it's one of those things that it's like, how to it happen? It happened really slowly, then suddenly. Like, I feel like it's going to be that. Um, but the infrastructure to get voice to work and conversational AI, as you know, and you know, I spent seven years building a platform just on this, uh, is a lot of work. And so it's, uh, it's a plumbing issue as much as it is anything else at this point. Uh, it's really getting all the systems plugged in and integrated so it can do the last mile uh, of things. I think your point about empathy is one that a lot of people in the conversational tech space miss out on. I think because of Hollywood, we've been conditioned to think of conversational agents as being these all-knowing, all-seeing beings that can answer any question under the sun. And in reality, the tech isn't quite there yet. Uh, And the sooner that people become self-aware of that when they're making bots, I think the sooner we'll start to see bots that actually deliver on their promises. But people aren't looking at it as a process that lasts forever. They're looking at it as like, I designed this once and turn it on. When in reality, the opportunity is actually in the airs. The opportunity is the insights that you get by designing something that has empathy when it fails over, that people don't hate it, but they're telling you what they want that you don't understand. That is the secret holy grail to business. All of a sudden, you have an interface medium that you can design where everyone's telling you what they want. And every time you don't understand it, it logs in a dashboard and says, these 19,000 people all said the same shit that we didn't understand, but you should probably go look at it. And this is where like machine learning graphs will happen, right? You'd have like a little scatter plot up in the top right. And it would be like, all these things seem related, but we don't understand it. And then you go and you literally dig into the data and you're like, oh shit, we're at Hyatt and Hyatt's bot. Everyone keeps asking for daycare. We don't do daycare. Maybe we should offer daycare at Hyatt's. Well, shit, now we have daycare. That's a new service. We could add, we'll add health and wellness and daycare, and et cetera. All of a sudden, that becomes a new offering and you found it out because of the airs and designing an experience that everyone tells you what they want. That's the holy grail. But no one looks at it like that. They're like, oh, the bot fails. I'm like, no, no, no. The whole thing is about failing. But it's also making it do things really well and designing it to fail gracefully so that you get that intelligence and then it's a never ending feedback loop. You're literally just infinitely updating this bot every day to get smarter and no one's doing that. The biggest fault of this space is people turn it on and it's like a website and they're like, oh, it's good. No, you turn it on and you iterate every day and it never ends, but it's a lot of work. That's a whole process. That's teams to that do this. And like, you have to think of it as an ongoing workload and team and analyst and creator and designer and go build that engine and that muscle and you have to be cool with it failing. Most people aren't even able to say like, I don't know at work. It's like ego and confidence and I'm really smart. You got to fucking let all that go. And we practiced this at our company. We literally had people say, I don't know. Because you would watch people give presentations and they would get all tight and stumble. And oh, I'm like, just say you don't know. And people are like, I don't know. And this guy, this guy's from Monaco. He's super polished, really perfection. Everything's perfect, blah, blah, blah. And if I asked him right now, I'd text him. I'd be like, what'd you learn the most at assist? He's like, I don't know. Like, 
it taught him to be more raw and vulnerable and open. And I think that's a core DNA trait that no one talks about that you have to practice to be able to be good at this space. And that's, that's hard. That's a, that's a human problem, not a pop problem. Right. Definitely. I do think that to an extent, even with other mediums, things like websites, things like apps, we still are attempting to do essentially that. You're trying to iterate, you're trying to figure out where you're lacking in your services, maybe where you're lacking in your user experience. But again, this gets back to the point you raised about language being the ultimate trans was it the ultimate translator of systems and APIs. With chatbots and voicebots, there's this unique situation where the user's intent comes through unvarnished. With with a website or with an app, you're maybe looking at a heat map. You're you're maybe trying it's, to figure it's click out charts and funnel charts and fucking it's bullshit. Like it's total sitting in a room with a website designers arguing over what we think we should do is my worst fucking nightmare. Like hands down my least favorite thing over the last 15 years. Love designers, but I'm just like that process of like, we think we know what the customers want. Let this is the right answer. And based on these heat map click charts, we're going to make these decisions on our funnel. Bullshit. Versus they tell you exactly what they want and you can analyze their language and words. Whole different game. Um, and the biggest fundamental difference is websites and apps are built for everyone. You push the entire company onto the internet and it needs to do everything for everyone. That's why we spent 20 years building personalization engines to try to make it back to working for you. This space is the exact opposite. It starts with the individual and their intent and you have to map the entire company to bring the right thing to each person on an individual one-to-one level. Hence why it's so hard to do, but it's fundamentally different. And you have to redesign the organization to look different. If you want to bring the right part of the organization to that one person based on their intent, different than welcome to our homepage, here's everything we do. I'll try to personalize it and try to help you find something. Very different. But the way that we, we phrase it at DARS is essentially, we're trying to flip the information hierarchy. There's a tendency in business because we're conditioned building landing pages, building websites, to think that the best way to convince someone to buy something or to, the best way to guide someone through a process is to give them all the information that they could possibly ever ask for. And what we are trying to do with bots is essentially flip that. So give them as as little information as possible and see how they drive the conversation forward. Because it's it's about listening and curiosity. And designing curiosity to get to what someone truly wants is a whole different skill. And listening to people so that you can then respond, whether it's a human or a bot is irrelevant, um, is the opportunity here to design and have a new data set that allows you to do something more personal, more specific, and better from a customer experience standpoint that you couldn't do on the web. web websites to me are like fucking billboards. They're just like pages that are in between the consumer and the business relationship. And I think that has gotten the way, to be honest. They're really great for e-commerce, for sure. For most businesses, they're just fucking annoying. I agree. I agree. Uh, the, the analogy that I, I like to go with usually is a brochure, like a landing page. Is, it's just a glorified brochure. And all I want to do is talk to them. Exactly. Right? I'm like, yeah. Like, Cut the middle Somewhere man. along the way, we lost the path. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's coming back. I feel like a key hurdle to get to that point, though, is to is to have people 
in the world of business, in the world of tech, actually start thinking in these terms about conversational technology. And I'd be curious to know how you think we can get there because we've spoken about the limitations of designing websites, designing apps, where you're essentially trying to guess user intent and you're trying to build out your app, build out your website based on that user intent. And then it just becomes sort of positive feedback loop where what you already believe just gets reinforced and reinforced because you keep building that into your apps. But the unfortunate truth is that most people are conditioned to think like that in the world of tech, in the world of business, in the world of design. So how do we break that mold? How do we get people to start thinking about conversational tech in this new paradigm? There's two things that will probably happen. One is people have to experience it and like it as a consumer themselves. Uh, and then two is I, I do believe that the main platforms pushing messaging so hard is going to really be the like catalyst that gets everyone in the world to experience it. When you have Apple pushing ABC, Google launched Google Messages yesterday. Facebook's already out there with WhatsApp. Instagram DMs is opening up. Facebook Messenger is already out there. Like this is happening, and now the search traffic's going to happen. That's going to go. I think from an experience standpoint, though, it's not about bot only. And I think that is actually a flawed thesis that we had. And there's a reason we brought the companies together. And we, you know, the great experiences are the ones where the bot and the agent work seamlessly together. That's the magic. The bot works, it does what it does well. Holy shit, I didn't even have to go to an agent. I can't believe that was integrated to the back end system to update my settings and get my flight status. Incredible. Oh, but I also have another question and I want to talk to someone and it brings in someone right then instantly. That harmony of bots and agents working together is the the magic experience today. And I think bot only failed pretty miserably, actually. Uh, if you look at Facebook Messenger, I mean, they were the ones that launched and they went allowed bot only. And I think if you had to ask people, did it succeed? They would say no. And Apple, WhatsApp, Instagram, all of these since then have launched and required agents. And I think the only way to do that well is to do it in one platform. Because when you're trying to like have an agent platform and integrate some third-party bot, it doesn't really work. You, don't, you argue over the handover. You have different business models. They're trying to put agents out of business. You're trying to you know, charge people to buy more agent seats. And so bringing that all under one roof is you know, not like a sales pitch here, but that's why we did the deal. And I think it's actually proven out to be very true. You have to have it one roof, same business model, all incentives are aligned and both things are improving. The automation's improving, the agents are improving, and both things are getting more efficient over time and the consumer experience then feels seamless and awesome. Are there any businesses that are already doing this that have implemented this sort of hybrid bot agent approach effectively to provide a good customer experience? Here's my favorite one. Here's my favorite one. Go to the um, Apple Maps on your iPhone. Go to an Apple store. And instead of clicking on website, you can now click message. It goes straight into Apple Business Chat, which is in your inside of iMessage, the messages app. And you can talk to Apple and say, I want to buy some AirPods. The entire experience end to end is a fully automated bot with Apple Pay built in. And you never get to a human. And in like five seconds, you will buy AirPods. It, once you feel that experience, no login, no password, no human, instant, came from search, didn't go to the website, didn't download an app, and Apple Pay pops up in messaging. It'll blow your mind. It's perfect. It's really, really well done. 
And then if I said, can I, it was crazy. Like they designed this so well. I said, can I get this new permission removed on my Apple credit card? Cause there was something that Robert told me like, Hey, you want to make sure that like, they're not doing this for you. And the partner with it is like Goldman Sachs. And I'd asked that in, in the chat. The bot then says, hey, one second, I'm going to go get the Goldman Sachs rep. Inside of the Apple experience, a Goldman Sachs rep responds, hey, Shane, you're all set. The provisions removed. Your Apple card should be good to go. Right after buying AirPods. Once you feel something like that, it's the combination of the bot, the router, the agent. I mean, that was another company being brought in. Like All of a sudden, I'm like, I love Apple. Right, like that's an incredible customer experience, um, and that's a great bot example and also a great router example to an agent. And I think that points to something very important about chatbots. We've been talking a lot about how chatbots and voice bots can alienate users by messing up, but when they do work, it has the exact opposite effect. Chatbots, when done well, blow minds. And the key is, if people expect an agent to be at the end of the, the flow. They treat the automation very different than if the flow can fully automate and actually do the last mile to get it done. And if you can do that, because you plugged in the right systems, it can actually talk to the back end. The minute it doesn't go to an agent and it still solves your problem, game over. Everyone's like, I fucking love chatbots. <laughs> it's just hard to get there and we're just getting right over that layer. But there's many studies on this. People prefer automation over human contact by a ton if done well. And the key to the stat is the if done well part. If done poorly, everyone types zero and it's like, I hate this automation, take me to the agent because that's what you've been programmed to do over the phone because that's really shitty automation. And that was, that was built to block inbound to, to businesses and route things efficiently. It wasn't built to help the consumer. Very different. I'd be curious to know what is it about that interaction, if we can distill it out, that makes it so mind-blowing? What is it about that conversation with the Apple store where they hand you off to the Goldman Sachs agent? What is it about that that blows people's minds? Because I definitely had an experience like that and that's really what made me get into this space. How big almost. is Apple? It's huge, right? Right. It's mind-blowing because Apple's bringing the right thing to you. In a website, you're going on there, if I had to go find how to talk to a Goldman Sachs agent, I don't even have a clue where I would start. I would be clicking around. I would be looking at pages, searching for Apple card, digging in. Is there an email? Like, is there a FAQ? Whatever. When you start with the consumer's intent, the customer is in control. And when an entire company as big as Apple can bring back the one single thing I needed instantly and make it happen, it's, it's frictionless and friction drives innovation. That is really the core. And because you don't have to search to find anything, you can start with my intent. Companies then are bringing the right thing to me. And that's the magic. Versus in the past, I had to go find it. And it's hard to find because again, websites are built for many, for everyone. So it has everything on it. So good luck finding what you need because you and I are both searching the same Apple site, right? And we're probably looking for completely different things. You want AirPods? I want an Apple card. But we're like browsing the same entry point versus the entry point is I get to use my language to tell you my intent. Therefore, bring me that thing. Well, Shane, I think I got my money's worth with this interview. Thank you for joining us. Uh, it was great having you here. Uh, 
very interesting to hear your perspective on conversational tech as a whole, uh, because you've been in this space for so long. And in my experience, you've your your companies very least have created some chatbots um, that have truly blown minds. Thank you, man. It's great to be here. And that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Tars Conversations. This one was a really hard one to edit because there was so much more knowledge that Shane shared with me on the podcast that I just couldn't include because the podcast would have gone on for too long. Uh, Maybe we'll publish them as shorter clips sometime in the future. Thank you guys for watching. And again, stay tuned next week when we release another episode. Have a good one.